Our scripture this morning is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 22, the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's uh, spend a moment or two in prayer to pray for the hearing of the word and also to lift up some prayers of intercession. Let's pray together. We first pray prayers of confession. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging our sinfulness, that we have done things we ought not to have done, and we have left undone things that we should have done. We've been hard of heart. We've judged others harshly. We've acted as if we know what motivates others. Um, And we failed to show others your love at so many times. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We trust in you for this forgiveness, Lord Jesus Christ, and this salvation. We ask now uh, for people that we know people in our own families, our friends, those that we know who are in need or facing difficulty, uh, for our own anxiety of mind or trouble of body, soul. Lord, would you hear our prayers? And so I want to just leave a moment of quiet here for you in the silence to lift up your own prayers to God. Heavenly Father, would you hear the prayers of these, your people, and teach us to pray. We pray for those in need in our own midst. We pray for Wilma Maritovic having lost her mom this week, trying to figure out a way to get back home to Europe. We pray for her with the many things that would be on her mind. We pray that you would be close by her and that she would know your presence and that she would be a blessing for the rest of her family, that you would strengthen her. We pray for Bonomi as well. Lord, have mercy. We continue to pray for Tara Narayan, who has faced ongoing health difficulties. We pray that you would strengthen her. Thank you for her faith, for her essential part in this church community, for her prayers for us 
for the example that she is of faith. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, for her and for her whole family. We continue to pray for Daniel Berge after his illness and pray for his full and speedy recovery. Thank you that he is here with us today. We pray for the needs of our community. Help us, as we've been thinking about outreach last week and even in our worship this morning, help us to not uh, just be an island in, in this building or this place, but to know our neighbors, to, to, to love with your love, and to lift them up in prayer. So hear our prayers, Heavenly Father. And now I'll lead you in the saying of the Lord's Prayer. We say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Heavenly Father, would you give us ears to hear your word to us? Redeem any words that I have that are just my own and not uh, led by you. And may you, Holy Spirit, be present not only in the speaking, but also in the hearing. And then most importantly, in our living from this, our response. So speak to us, we pray, myself included, that we would be changed, that we would grow, and that we would be a blessing in this world. We thank you for your word, your revelation to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you've heard by now that last week we started this little mini three-week series on outreach. Um, There it is right there. See? don't have to tell you. Oh, I've I've lost my monitor, so I'll have to kind of look back occasionally. Um, And last week we looked at the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we looked at these three... Uh, parts of the Great Commission. Firstly, that word all. Thanks, Keith. Firstly, that word all. Go and make disciples of all nations, or all authority has been given to me. The word all shows up in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew a number of times. We noted that what God has done for us, he has done for everyone. Go and make disciples of all nations. There is no us and them in the gospel. It's comforting to know that in this world, isn't it? There is no us and them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're told to make disciples, followers, teaching them to obey the Lord Jesus Christ as we learn to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in working out our salvation to reflect his love. But the word disciples and followers implies and teaches us that we are not the ones who initiate anything valuable or eternal. That's God. God is the initiator. God is present and God is active. Go and make disciples. And Jesus told his followers and us through them and through this word that he would be with us even to the end of the age. In other words, that this, again, is not primarily our activity. We don't bring others to God like he's some product, like we carry him around. Rather, God is in the work of evangelism and outreach itself, present before our action. We are partners in God's work. The question isn't uh, what can we do that God can bless, but the question always is for us to discern what God is doing. Jesus promises that he will be with us even to the end of the age. So today we take up this question, why outreach? 
Why ought we to pray for occasions to talk about our faith? Do you pray for occasions to talk about your faith? Why do we have this hope for our friends and family? Do you have this hope for friends and family that they would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We could say, each of us, about our own friends, our families, I want them to know the love and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I want them to know the love and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. So today, as we take up this question, why outreach, we look at this brief section from the book of Colossians. Colossians is a great book to do a book study on, and I would encourage you to to read through it and take a couple study aids and take a look. Uh, I'm not going to do a book study. It's, It's just one part, at least not this time around. This is one scripture that we're looking at in order to look at this uh, concept of outreach. So not a book study right now, but context is always good and always helpful. Colossians in this city that wasn't a big city, the church was uh, not a very well-established church in not a huge city. And there was a key issue in the culture at that place at that time in terms of how people would understand God and faith any kind of religious faith. The issue, and that's the word that I have up on the screen there that starts with G-N, so any word that starts with that is great. Uh, The issue was Gnosticism. So you're going to maybe learn something in church uh, today. And Gnosticism became a whole way of seeing the world, a whole philosophy. But many biblical scholars say the church uh, in the city at this time probably hadn't, the, the philosophy hadn't fully developed yet. But it was permeating throughout the culture. All kinds of things happen in our own culture like that today as well. Often not named till a decade or a generation later. So it was present. What Gnosticism was, and this is, it's important for you to know this because it will affect how you see our world today and how we consider outreach. At its base, Gnosticism taught a separation between the physical, right? This, my body, your bodies. And the spiritual. And the key point of the teaching was that the spiritual was transcendent, maybe even holy, but the physical was broken, dark, evil, useless, and not spiritual. There was a wall between these two. Now, Gnosticism is not a religion in itself. But the philosophy permeated through many branches of the Christian church, including to this church that was being written to in this letter. One result of the spiritual being thought of as very good and the physical being thought of as very bad, that's an overgeneralization, but we'll hold on to it. One result is that people begin to teach various means of attaining spiritual wholeness, but they are all disconnecting from the physical world in some way, shape, or form. So you have to disconnect from the physical to have any connection to the spiritual. Another result is a degradation of the physical world itself. So if you have this way of thinking, I'll ask you a question now, you can answer it in your head. What do you think people who were living in that kind of world with that kind of thinking would think about Jesus Christ? You're right they would think, well, he was physical, was a person. So he can't be spiritual and transcendent. And that's pretty much what they did think. 
So if you say something in that kind of culture, like Jesus is Lord, what's going to happen? He can't be Lord. He had a physical body. He becomes rejected in this way. And so that's why this text that George read for us becomes a hymn to Jesus Christ. He is above all. All things are made through him. All things are held together in him. All things will be reconciled through him. Do you see what's happening? Paul's taking Jesus Christ, this person who lived, and he's saying he's not only fully human, he's also fully God. In all things he may have, we used to have this on the wall in the old building that was here, remember? I told you before, I broke those styrofoam letters many, many times. But all Plymouth Brethren churches had to have a verse on the wall, and and Sutherland's was that in all things he might have the preeminence. It's from this text. And that's a response to this Gnostic way of thinking. Now, on the level of daily living, so like you, I don't know that you're always caught up in some rapturous thought of Jesus Christ and, and worshiping God as you go to work and school and wherever else. So how did the Gnostic way of thinking affect people's daily living in some really important ways? Teach you another word now. You ready? You got Gnostic and Gnosticism. Here's another one that you need to know if you're uh, spiritual in any way, shape, or form. And that's the word asceticism. And so one thing that developed in this kind of world is a fierce asceticism. What that means is that people became... You want to, you, so to go from a word like asceticism to make it really understandable, uh, body bashing. People even religiously would beat their own bodies or take up severe discipline over their own bodies. Why? Because they distrusted anything physical. And so they tried to control the body. That was one response. But the more common response, and this one's quite interesting, was rather than severely kind of tried, and some of you do this, take up your own you know, severe ways of controlling your own body. But the other side, and we've got some of this reflected in our culture as well, instead of that was to just indulge. To just say, well, the physical's fallen, the physical's dark, the physical's useless, so then something like sexuality has no real intrinsic meaning or value, so we can just do whatever we want. So religion even became mixed with, there was like temple prostitution. This is what's happening, not necessarily in this city, in this place, but in in other places, because this philosophy was in, in many areas at this time. At the least, your appetites, your desires, became in some ways in your daily living elevated because, well, what difference does it make There's no meaning in in any of this physical. Anyway, I might as well feel good. So that's the culture of the day. Today, your world, your life, you go out these doors, you walk into this world that you either say, isn't this a wonderful world, or you say, the world is a terrible place. And I don't know if you do the same thing in the same week or the same day, and I don't know for this week what you decided, whether it's wonderful or terrible. But this world, it couldn't really... I guess a case could be made that our culture is Gnostic. In some ways, there's truth in that. But at least we can say this. That in our current culture, what we feel, like even physically feel and see with our eyes, our appetites, our desires, there can be a magnification of that because in some ways we say, well, that's all we can know. 
So I might as well try to be as comfortable and secure and try to get as much as I can have and maybe pass that on to my kids or whatever. There can even be a celebration of indulgence. As if our desires in themselves, this is different than the Gnostic culture would do, but but our desires in themselves are somehow, well, we can't really know if there's God, so we'll kind of deify our desires. We'll turn our desires into God. Also in our culture, I think you'll agree with this, at the same time that there is this indulgence, the other side of that same coin is a fierce discipline of the body. And some of you have this. Every single thing you eat, all the exercise, we live, we can quantitate everything now. How many steps did you take today? Right? And this can be brought to a level of, of severity and, and a, a fierce nature to it. In this kind of culture, and this is reflective of the Gnostic culture and from where the Church of Colossians was, in this kind of culture, spirituality, what do we say about spirituality? It makes sense when this is the world we live in. We say, for the most part, well, to each his own. Right? Why would we say that? We say that positively in a way because, well, I can't know. All I can know is this. And so anything spiritual, that's up to each of us. I don't mean to denigrate this or to accuse it. I mean to describe it. Okay? And I don't want you to leave shaking your heads thinking, yeah, the world's such a terrible place because they do that. I'm simply saying that's the world in which we live and speak. Nothing spiritual can really be known. That is the world, the Gnostic culture of the day, into which this letter is written. And this hymn to Jesus Christ is saying something opposite, I suppose, into the Gnostic culture of the day and perhaps into our day now. The question of outreach. How are we going to speak our Christian faith? The first thing, and I wouldn't want to do this in an accusatory way or a condemnatory way, but the first thing is to say as invitation, you want to know something? We can know something. The Christian faith declares that something spiritual can be known. That's a faith declaration. I accept that you're saying to me, I don't think that. That's fine. I'm telling you, Christian faith says something can be known. And then Paul writes this hymn to Jesus. Christian faith declares that God is not unknowable. God can be known. I'm as much as Many other people, more than a lot of other people, I am willing to say, in fact, it's a key part of my faith, to say God, is, God maintains mystery. I can never fully comprehend God. As soon as you think you fully understand God, then whatever it, whatever it is you understand can't possibly be God. You, you get that, right? I am all over that. I accept all those things. But I do that secondary. It's the second thing that I do because the first thing that I do is say the Christian faith declares that in Jesus Christ God can be known. The Old Testament and parts of the New Testament will say that God exists is demonstrated in creation itself. We live on the North Shore 
and some of what draws many people into the woods or up in the mountains or up in, is something spiritual, right? Now, many people on those, sometimes yourselves include, with, well, I don't, again, I'm not really willing to label what it is, okay. But the way that Scripture will talk about that is to say, look, creation itself declares that God exists. And in the New Testament, it will carry the theme further to say, creation says that God exists, but Jesus Christ shows us who God is. The biblical terms for these, like scholarly terms, are general and special revelation. God has, this is what we can know. There's more, but this, keep it at its most basic. We can know in Jesus Christ that God has turned towards humanity, not away from humanity. The God of love in sending Jesus Christ has said yes to humanity. Secondly, we can turn to God in Jesus Christ, becoming awakened to God's love for all the world. We can know this in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we then become witness to his love for all people. What's the word for this? Outreach. Some of you, you know, depending on how old you are and what era you consider as the best in the world, usually it's when you had some sense of security. Right? And by the way, the era you consider the best in the world, the best of all times, was not the best for a lot of other people. Just remember that. Whatever it was. But wherever we are at whatever time, this is what Christian faith declares, that we can become witness to his love for all people. A little side note, I would have it in italics in my note, in my notes here, a side, net of, a side note of something of distress. All of this positive talk about God's love and God's love for all people is not to ignore what can happen historically. The possibility never disappears that the church rather than becoming witness to God's love, becomes marked by being against people. This has happened repeatedly throughout history. If it isn't happening now, and some would argue that it is in in many places of the world, if it isn't happening now, it will happen again unless the Lord returns. We just keep repeating the same mistakes. So instead of demonstrating a love of God that is for all people, we begin to cordon off certain people as acceptable and unacceptable. The church can become more hateful than loving. The reason they become more hateful than loving is that they become more fearful than hopeful. And fear leads to hate and anger. To some degree, I don't want to overstate it, but to some degree, if the church does not follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, then it is failing to be the church. And sometimes the world discovers that before the church does. But God is good and the gates of hell will not prevail. Colossians, then, this brief text that we looked at. Again, you see the word all, all things created through him, by him, for him. He's before all things. In in him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. He's taking and reminding us that he's fully human, but fully God. All of God's fullness dwells in him. And in him, and here's the hope, don't ever lose this in your faith. In him, all things will be reconciled. That's Christian hope. That's the end of all things, not you getting to heaven. Give your head a shake. Getting to heaven is, okay, whatever you want to do with that. But this is Christian hope, that in Jesus Christ, all things will be reconciled. Much bigger 
So some notes about outreach from this little portion. Firstly, outreach is for people, not against them. While we will not deify appetites, so we don't, if the rest of the culture is uh, taking indulgence to the point where we're kind of turning appetites into mini-gods, like fulfilling yourself is the most important thing you could ever do, right? Even when you believe that, you kind of don't believe it, right? You just believe it to some degree so that you can feel better. But if the end of all things is your own comfort, you're left with a fairly small world. Or exceedingly small. So we don't deify appetites. And most people even who, who uh, speak positively about indulging, to some degree, don't deify appetites. Being for people does not mean cheerleading all behavior. But the first thing, always in outreach... And so many times we lose this. The first thing is that God is for us and for whoever you are speaking to. So if you're thinking about what they need to change, you need to do some growing in how you're speaking the faith. What it, what it, what's, in it, what's in them that's lacking, you need to grow. God is for us. God is for them. What we attest to is light, not darkness. We attest to light as Christians, even in dark times. Especially then. We declare the yes of God to humanity and to the world. Now, I'm doing a lot of theological teaching here this morning, but I can see you're mostly with me, so we'll keep going. The yes of God to humanity includes, and I want to be really careful with this, because as soon as I say this, two reactions happen. A bunch of people who are tired of religion and can't stand people judging them go, here it is, he's bringing the judgment. And then, and then other people who love judging people and think that the problem is that the guy sitting across from them got to get it right with God, uh, they think, oh good, Todd's going to judge. Um, right? God speaks yes to humanity. Now here's the danger part. But within that yes, there is a no. There is a no. But what's the no to? The no is to anything dehumanizing. The no is to darkness. The no is to that which prevents us from seeing the love of Jesus Christ. The no is to hatred of others. There is a no within the yes. But hear this now. Now this is something, if we're going to get good at outreach at Sutherland Church, I'm going to check you on this, and if I see you in, in the foyer doing this, I'll be like, you're only doing no, Okay. The no of God is never an independent theme. Never. Want me to say it again? The no of God is never an independent theme. So if you're speaking to a bunch of children, if you're speaking to someone who doesn't know the Christian faith, and what you're communicating is first, foremost, and mostly a no, then you're not getting it right. The no can never be independent. What happens when the no becomes independent? Becomes the thing that the preacher talks. What happens? Here's what happens. And you've seen it, right? People become thought of as opponents. And then eventually people become thought of as enemies. And then we're not talking gospel anymore. I'm okay with the no. But if I hear you and you're, out, you're doing outreach, and I don't hear that yes... Then I'm going to say, you're not speaking gospel. You're just giving them the no. 
we attest to the light for all people. And some of you in this world, you're trying to think, are these people acceptable? Are these ones acceptable? What about this behavior? What? You're doing all no stuff. Right? Ask yourself, how is it that God is saying yes to that person? That's where you'll discover the heart of the gospel. Secondly, we confess Him. This is so cliched and obvious, but it has to be said in our world because the church gets so easily off track. When I say we confess Him, you know that that's a word. Confession doesn't just mean, you know, sorry, Dad, I did a bad thing. Confession means declaring what is most true. Right? We confess our faith. So this is, this is what we confess. We declare, we pronounce, we proclaim. Hear this. Not, this should be gift to you in the world in which we live. Wherever you're coming from and how you see the world. We confess not a political ideology, not a worldview, not a marketing strategy, not a particular denomination, not a church, not a plan, or a service, or a style, or a preacher, or a certain way of looking at worship. That's not what we confess. Those things come after. Our confession is Him. Jesus Christ is Lord. Colossians, this hymn to Jesus, will say, He is the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? It means Jesus Christ is the one true human. He is the one who will show you what it means to be loved and receive the love of God and show you what it means to love. You will never know anybody who does those things better than Jesus Christ. You will know people who reflect that, thanks be to God. Many of them Christians, perhaps. Some of them not Christian. Reflecting God's love. By Him, we know peace and love and joy and hope. So our witness, and hear these three words, our witness as we look to becoming more outreach-oriented at Sutherland, our witness can be authentic and dignified and powerful because we confess Him. If you're selling anything else, politics, worldview, denomination, well, I kind of hope we fail then. And most of the time, if you're selling those other things, you just get, like, you get something grows for a season and then ceases to exist. People go from place to place. Authentic, dignified, and powerful. And then my favorite theologian puts it this way. He says, then our outreach has the almost naive force of a simple proclamation. It's almost naive. I'm, I don't think I'm dumb. I'm dumb in very many ways. Uh, But, you know, generally I read books. I can hold a few concepts in my head at the same time. Whatever. Way to go, Todd. So, I know that my faith to much of the world is somewhat naive. And you know what? That's just okay. The naive force of a simple proclamation. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. That's outreach. 
Jesus Christ is the one true word. The church does not witness to itself. And, I mean, if we're going to grow an outreach at Sutherland, I mean, unfortunately, well, it's not unfortunate. It's the culture we live in. But you've, you, you wind up, you know, how much do you brand and what do you do here and what do you do? You wind up kind of, you can kind of witness to the church itself rather than to Jesus Christ. Some of you have been in places like this where, hang on, it's, they're selling the thing, right? So we always have to be on watch for that. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to witness to you, not to the church itself. Or to a principle, or to a power, or to any supernatural display. All of these things might be good, but we witness to him. And you should pray that that would be your life. And finally, Colossians will teach us, if we're going to move to be more outreach-oriented, that this hope is for all. I told you that this hymn is hopeful. The look to the future is hopeful that all things will be reconciled. The end of all things in Scripture is a new heaven and a new earth and God dwelling with humanity. That's the end of all things, not you getting to heaven. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's kind of self-centered to just think about that. All will be reconciled. And this text that George read to us ends with this. And then it gets personal, right? So all things will be reconciled. And then it says, for example, you. You were once alienated. You were once unaware or far off. You didn't know what God had done for you in Jesus Christ. And you lived accordingly. However that might be. But now, different Verses of scripture will put it differently. But now you have been brought near. Or now you have been brought to life. You have been awakened to see what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Now our outreach becomes, we witness to this reality. We become sent people to all people. Because all will be reconciled in Jesus Christ. And so to end, I'll ask you this. This is an important question, I think, for how we, if we think of outreach. Because the first thing that happens with outreach is that uh, we get what we experience as rejection, right? Many people just aren't interested. I think if you're really listening to the Holy Spirit, there's a different sense to this because it's not like you're knocking on somebody's door and trying to sell a box of cookies, right? You're trying to, to discern the presence of the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life who has not been awakened to the love of Jesus Christ. And so rejection becomes the wrong word. But in some way, shape, or form, we will ask ourselves, what if people we are speaking to don't see or hear or understand? What if people we are speaking to don't see or hear or understand? Too often, our response has become to write them off, to consider them, especially if they're not close to us, to consider them an opponent, or to say something like, this terrible, wicked world. Nobody believes in God anymore. Isn't that terrible? Those people. Who doesn't believe in God? Well, we do, but not those people. And they become thought of almost as opponents or them, right? Any kind of distance. Maybe even, and this is obviously wrong, maybe even thought of as enemies. That's the wrong view. It's not a gospel view. Instead, and not saying that our witness is always at fault there, but we seek to see the fault in our own witness and we take up with new seriousness and more energetic effort to witness to the gospel. So why isn't that person seeing? And your first thing would be, what's wrong with them? Right? That's not the right question. The right question is, 
Well, the right question is a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, would you renew my witness? We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that our call in this as stewards of the gospel is to be faithful. That's it, to be faithful. I don't think that I have to tell you that this is an anxious and fractured world. I think you could know that enough yourself. I mean, you're anxious and fractured. So all you got to do is multiply yourself times, you know, a number of billion and that's what you get. We live in an anxious and fractured world. And into that world, God speaks the hope of the gospel call. That we could know in Jesus Christ the love of God for us and for all. That we could move to the rest and peace of God. And that as we think of speaking to others, we could summon them we trust in the Holy Spirit and we respect them and where they're at seeking not to be frustrated but we summon others think about this with outreach what are we summoning people to we're summoning others inviting others to joy to joy so very quickly before we move to pray and sing there's a so what you know so what do you do so this makes you feel good gospel is hopeful and positive and yes it's wonderful let's go have lunch and talk about the american election very quickly so what firstly determine to be positive not negative in motivation you have to determine this i i would i would cajole you i'd be poking you in the back or in the arm or tugging your elbow Saying you're making this negative. I'm not saying determined to be blind. I'm saying realize that the gospel is positive. Secondly, determined to be faithful. And this is where a number of us have have lost lately. We've gotten used to being part of the church and we haven't necessarily thought of outreach. And you need and I need to make a new determination to be faithful each day to say, Lord God, how could you help me in in witnessing of your love to other people. Be faithful. And thirdly, pray for opportunities for outreach and be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and this time. And we pray that there would be a renewal even here in Sutherland Church. We know that we're not supposed to just do it like... uh, Uh, some other group of people of another place or another time. But we know that you call us as your church here in this place, this location, to reach out to others with your love. Would you teach us what that means? Would you make us people of joy? Forgive us for our failings, our sin, our darkness of heart at times, our fear that turns us away from joy. And help us to know what it means to trust in you that we would reflect your love to others. We pray now for this time of response as we sing. Would you speak to the hearts and minds of your people gathered here? Not just to think of like how nice is this song. But what would it be that you have us to do to change the way we live? Because we've heard this word today. We pray also for this offering as it's taken. 
that through the work of this church, we would know and others would know, Lord Jesus Christ, of your love. Give us grateful hearts as we give back from what you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.